When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. <laughs> It's Purple Daily. All right, second hour here of Purple Daily. Matthew Collar, ESPN's Courtney Cronin. If you missed any of our meltdowns surrounding the number three quarterback, then feel free to download the show on um, iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. And please stop tweeting us about Kyle Sloter, and uh, we can all move on with our lives. All right, so Courtney, I wanted to do confidence ratings starting with Irv Smith, um, but we need a scale here. Since Irv Smith is number 84, let's do 1 to 84. Sure. Can we do this? That's fine. All right, so let's start with Irv Smith. How confident are you, 1 to 84 rating, um, that Irv Smith will be a significant part of the offense in 2019? I'll put it at a 60, and I think that that's, what, 24 off from being a perfect score? So it's kind of like a B, a <laughs> yeah, B so minus. Make, make of that um, what you will. This is, a, this is not a plug-and-play position. That no matter how much he goes from swimming to surprising this preseason, I don't buy it entirely until I can see more development from him in the regular season and see how he actually handles going against and at like you know not his teammates that are not going to kill him out there and sure. hit him, but like let me see what happens when you're going against elite safeties, linebackers that are asked to cover you, things like that. I do think he will be part like kind of fit into that wide receiver tight end hybrid role. Yep. I think in the passing game that that's necessary, just given that they don't really have anybody beyond Thielen and Diggs that can fulfill that role on a regular basis. So I do think he's going to be part of it. The blocking will be interesting to see what happens uh, when he's going against some of like the better defensive linemen. Uh, if he's asked to be, if he's asked to chip, if he's asked to do anything like that um, this season. But I do think there's going to be a learning curve. I'm not ready to go all in yet and think that he's going to have like some Travis Kelsey type season his rookie his rookie year. Just it's not a position that's meant for that. Yeah, confidence that he will have a decent size role is probably about halfway there. What's that? Eighty four, forty two for yeah, me. Sure, I'm a little bit lower on it, but I did think the other night that he showed some good things. He showed an ability to get open. I mean, his touchdown catch, he just walks into the end zone. Yeah, because like, the receivers were in like a bunch, and you know you can go... Seattle became baffled yeah, by like, what can, was going on. You can move a lot of different ways out of that, and they had no clue what to do, and that's why he was left uncovered in the back of the end zone. Yeah, they um, did not exactly put together a stellar defensive performance. Um, Seattle didn't, but... I. I I would say I'm I'm really curious. I'm really curious to see how this works out because I'm kind of like halfway 
there on Irv Smith, thinking that I see the talent that he has, and I see how athletic he is, and he's quick, and he catches the ball when they throw it his way, so we know he's got good hands. But you know, Zimmer talking about the blocking, Kubiak talking about the blocking from Irv Smith. I'm not sure if I can really buy that against real NFL competition, like you said, and how much he's actually going to do. I'm not sure. I mean, I tend to think, Courtney, that this offense is going to be basically digs deep, feeling deep, short to Kyle Rudolph, screen to Delvin Cook. That's the whole passing offense. And I think you could throw Irv Smith in the short passing game, too, on some checkdowns and tight end screens if they want to continue to use that. Um, but I just I don't know if he's going to be ready to amass just like everything that they've asked him to do. I mean, to do that flawlessly in a game, rookie tight ends, just that's, that's just not their MO. It's not, it's such a tough position to translate to from the college level to the NFL, just because of how much you're asked to do. And yes, you may have had your hand in the dirt uh, in college in a three point stance. You might've lined up as an H back. You might've been in the slot out wide. I mean, and Irv will talk confidently about all the things he's been asked to do here and just being moved around. And that's great. You're getting a taste of it now, but can you really proficiently do it um, and not make mistakes doing it? Like there's no more learning curve. Right. Uh, there's no more like do overs essentially when you're actually going against teams where it matters. Yeah. I, th- I did think the other night was a good step for him. Yeah, sure. And, in the third preseason game, all important, the all important third preseason Trademark. game, say it, all important, um, that, it's, that it is important for him to show a little bit more because it's going to be probably a full half of football mm-hmm. between the Vikings and the Arizona Cardinals first team offense versus first team defense. And you would like to see him just make a play, just flash a little bit, show a little something down the field that makes you think, okay, that's a threat or that they could put on tape that that's a threat. All right. Um, next guy would be Garrett Bradbury. I mean, what is your confidence level one to 84? Um, for Garrett I thought we were going to switch it up and just do all their do, numbers. Do we want to do their numbers? What number is he? He's 56. 56. Okay, 1 to 56, your confidence lever, uh, level on Garrett Bradbury. 35? I'm kind of going halfway, if not a little bit more, with most of these guys. You haven't heard anything negative, like or any sort of negative connotation of, oh, he's swimming, oh, it's going to take a little bit. But you also haven't heard, he's ahead of schedule, he's this, he's that. I mean, he's exactly where they expected him to be. He's an intelligent player, he's been in the playbook, he has no issue commanding this offensive line, he's earned the respect of his teammates out there. I don't have any problems uh, anticipating that Garrett Bradbury will eventually be just fine. But again, you're asking him to be a plug-and-play player on a position that typically is not meant for that. So. I think some of the issues that you're seeing with Pat Elfline, whether they continue into the third preseason game and beyond that, um, is going to be interesting. I also think that some of that might weigh on Garrett Bradbury and yeah. that he might oh, not definitely. be able to completely overcompensate for the issue, other issues on the interior. So that's kind of why my confidence index on him might be a little bit lower than what you would expect. And I believe Pro Football Focus did a study on this where they looked at how much offensive linemen impact uh, each other, mm-hmm. um, whether it's you know a center and a left guard. If you have a great center, does he help? Excuse me, does he help a left guard sure. or does he help a right guard? A great right guard help a center, and and they they do. So when you look at those grades, they're not in a vacuum. They are um, sometimes impacted by what's going on around you. And if Elfline struggles with the transition, if Josh Klein is just kind of shot, then yeah, I think Garrett Bradbury is going to have a really tough time trying to make up for some of that. 
I would be a little bit higher, maybe 43. I'll go 43 out of 56 for my confidence in Garrett Bradbury. And part of it, even though Rick Spielman said that age is not part of the evaluation for players, the fact that he's a little bit more grown than, say, a 20-year-old who was trying to come in and play, that he's 24 and he comes from a similar offense, I'm going to say that... I have the expectation that he'll be kind of a mid-pack center in the NFL, and that'll be a big upgrade from what they had last year. Sure, and I mean, he's not dealing with the injury issues that Pat Elfline had. I mean, he's played and he was a zone scheme guy to begin with. Um, Elfline was not. Uh, he's athletic. He's quick. I mean, they want to be able to be a second-level run team. They need to get have guys in front of the quarterback and in front of your running backs to you know, grab onto a linebacker and get there. I think athletically, he's not going to have an issue with that. It's just putting the whole thing together. And if he doesn't have superior talent around him uh, with Elfline and Klein to make him better, I mean, he's going to be fighting for his for on his own for a little bit. So that might be the only the only kind of downfall I see that who he's surrounded by might not be super helpful. Let me throw this one out at you: one to nineteen. I think he's not. No, 14. One, Diggs? One to 14, Stefan Diggs. Mm-hmm. Um, it's weird how I remember players' numbers from like when I was 10, but so I'll forget them when it's the Minnesota Vikings. I mean, there's, 90, there's 90 guys. I know there are a lot, but Stefan Diggs is obviously number 14. Anyway, so 1 to 14 confidence level on Stefan Diggs. Now, I got a question about this on Twitter the other day, and I thought, you know, maybe this is slightly worth talking about. Um, is. The throws have gone to Adam Thielen deep down the field. There hasn't been a throw basically in Stefan Diggs's direction, I think, so far in preseason, maybe one. Yeah. And in training camp, there have been some moments with him where he's been burning pretty hot. I mean, he was upset last week that Cousins missed the throw deep where he took someone's soul. I, I, I don't know. I think it was a third string corner. Maybe it was like Nate Meter Nate, or someone. Yeah, uh, Duke Thomas. Duke Thomas, he where he beat him, him so badly, I thought that he, that player should just leave. Yeah. Like just leave the campus of TCO Performance Center, retire on the spot, because you can't live anymore after what just happened to you, uh, in the NFL at least. Don't want to be too morbid there. Anyway, so because Diggs has shown a little bit of that like frustration through training camp, I just wonder how this is going to go for him. Does he want to be a 100-catch receiver? Does that matter to him? Um, because I don't think that there's going to be a 100-catch receiver in this offense this I don't year. either, and I think that that's not just not just the run game and, and having that be such a primary focus here, but there are a lot of options for Kirk Cousins. Um, and you get that question with fantasy a lot, like who's going to be, who should you draft higher? Who, who's going to have the better breakout performance? I think Diggs is, is 25 years old. Thielen's 29. Like that's just like lay out like all of like your mitigating factors first. Um, Thielen's coming off of, you know, his incredible season that is certainly going to diminish just because of target share and the fact that teams have figured out how to cover him. Um, I still think Diggs is going to draw the attention of your number one corner every single week. Um, So it will probably look like Adam Thielen is having a better season all around, but I do think that Diggs is probably primed to have an even better season. If that makes any sort of sense whatsoever. No, it does. I mean, it's just, it's... What's your number? I mean, I'll probably put him at like a 12. I, I think he's frustrated for a reason. I mean, he, Kirk should not have missed that throw to him last week. Like, it's not Diggs' fault that his quarterback has issues with stuff like that um, and, and went for like a really bad check down that was batted down um, over, you know, finding Diggs way the heck wide open downfield. So 
if if those two, I I wouldn't be too concerned in the preseason. Uh, you know, I think that Diggs would have no issue throwing a contested catch. Or Cousins would have no issue throwing a contested catch to Diggs anyway, a contested ball, because uh, he knows that he's going to be able to go up and get it. But I think that we'll see from this third preseason game just how what the target share looks like between those two and and how what you can take away from that. So John Krasinski brought something up to me interesting that I hadn't really thought of when there was that meltdown in Week 17 with uh, Thielen and Cousins. Yeah, Diggs came over and tried to say, "It's on me. Trust me. Trust me. Trust me." Right. And I wonder because he had such a great connection Diggs did with Teddy Bridgewater, and then. Pretty much with Sam Bradford and Case Keenum, too. Mm -hmm. Um, Keenum, of course, really trusted him to throw the ball up and and for him to go grab it. And and even though he had 100 catches last year, a lot of them were screens, a lot of them were quick throws and things like that. I I just wonder about how Stephon Diggs feels about this. Because even though he's he's paid, uh, I, I don't think for guys like him it necessarily matters that he's got the money. Like there's There are other things at play. And I wonder if Diggs watches tape of someone like Antonio Brown and says, I can do all those things. And he, and he can. The contested catches, the route running, all those things on a level that's close to Antonio Brown and says, I, I end up getting talked about not as a number one wide receiver in the NFL, even though I am that. I get talked about as a tandem. You, and and, and they're friends, that... but like, is there some point as a very competitive person where you go, I would love to show that I can actually catch 120 balls myself. Well, what about like the stuff with the Redskins this off season? Like, that was the, weird. You know, the brother tweeting the picture of him in the Redskins Photoshop jersey and some of like those fake trade rumors and things like that, like just things that came up a blip on the radar and went away quickly. It's where there's smoke, there's fire. Like, does that kind of, you know, he's clearly frustrated at points. And I think what you bring up the week 17 thing, when he was, when you could tell he was saying, it's on me, trust me, all those things. Yep. Um, when he's tapping his chest and, and talking to Kirk, when Kirk's sitting down on the bench, clearly still heated from his conversation with Thielen. Um, I think he probably wants more of an opportunity to do that. I mean, he is a number one receiver on this team or somewhere else. I don't think Adam Thielen is the number one receiver on another team. I've said that. Like There are about six or seven guys that you would draft above Adam Thielen that are currently playing wide receiver. And so um, that, to me, is just kind of where where my head goes uh, when I take a look at where Stephon Diggs might be in terms of frustration level. But I still think he has a chance to have an incredible breakout year for himself. He's going to play, you know, there's no health issues to worry about. Um, teams, yeah, they figure out how to guard him and how to play him. But who's not to say that maybe they try to do that with Adam Thielen as well, and that would free up Diggs for some more opportunities. So I definitely think that Thielen is a number one wide receiver without Stephon Diggs in in the league. I don't think he's DeAndre Hopkins, where they can have no one else, and he's sure. still going to be that good. I I, 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 I'm, I question it, just on certain teams. I think certain teams he would be, but there's others where... I don't know. It depends on how they, they played him. If they played him as Michael Thomas like or Larry Fitzgerald in the slot and had him run deep he's a, from But the he slot. is a slot receiver. Yeah, he's a slot Diggs receiver. Diggs is an outside receiver yeah. and a slot receiver. So right. he can do both. Like yep. That's the thing that people forget here, that Diggs is an X. And they wanted to play him a lot like that last year. And that's why he was getting... I mean, he's always going to be shadowed by the number one corner. Yep. And, that, and Thielen wasn't. So is that going to change this year? I don't know. It yeah. might. So I think that 
Thielen could play outside wide receiver consistently and still be one of the better receivers in the game. I think Diggs is better suited for it because of his route running ability. But I also, it also seems to me, and maybe the other night is just, you know, one play, but that his ability to get off the line, Thielen has improved from what it was in 2016 when he first emerged as an outside receiver. So I don't want to be like down on Thielen. No, I mean, he's a really good route runner. I really wonder from just the perspective of ego. And as a competitor, as a very highly competitive guy that Stephon Diggs is, uh, Daryl Hazel, who was the receivers coach last year, described him as basically like uh, a guy who runs on rocket fuel, where Thielen is more of a Mack truck who's running on diesel. Mm -hmm. So Thielen, they play Thielen 100% of the snaps because he's a truck, but they'll pull Diggs off the field sometimes because he's running on jet fuel, so he'll play 75% because he needs a break sometimes. And I wonder about just his personality and running hot like that and maybe believing in himself as a number one receiver when he watches the tape and he sees how he performed against top corners and things like that. And and I'm not saying that this is going to like bring down the season. It's just I would love to know what he says candidly about that, like to his friends or something like it, it. Does he really think, no, this is great and we can win here and I love Thielen and I don't mind that? Or does he think... I, I kind of wish this was my team in a way. I kind of wish I got talked about like DeAndre Hopkins. I kind of wish they put me on a video game cover or something else like that. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. We see that in basketball all the time of someone like Kyrie Irving wanting it to be his team in Boston as opposed to having to be in LeBron James's shadow. So it's not to say I wonder if you know Diggs has this massive ego because everyone in the NFL has to have a big ego. It's just... It's a unique situation. You don't see this very often, especially for long periods of time. There's only a couple examples I can think of of guys who played together who were both elite and were great for a significant amount of time before things kind of fell apart. So you're thinking it's going to bubble over this year? I, I don't know. I, I wouldn't say that. I wouldn't say that. I so just, where's your conf- I gave you mine. Where's your confidence index on him? Here, here's what I wonder, though, and, and this is why I'll give it like – I, I think I'll give it like an 11 or 12. We'll, we'll go right in your range out of 14 because why not? I think the possibility exists of Stefan Diggs getting frustrated and saying, you know what? Last year I was patient and some of the times that the ball wasn't thrown, I let it go and I tried to help and I tried to do everything. But from what we saw on the practice field, Maybe he says, well, this year I'm not keeping my mouth shut. Like last year was year one. We can play all that year zero and chemistry and everything else. I I wonder if this year he would be, not to us, but to the team, a little more straightforward if he starts to get frustrated. Possibly. I think that he's got a point to be because they can win games if you're throwing him the ball. He may not look open. Like Maybe Kirk needs to take the same approach that he's taking with Thielen in the preseason of, I'm going to throw him if throw the ball to him if he doesn't look open. I I can trust him. Um, Does he have that same level of trust with Stephon Diggs? We haven't seen it really pan out um, in in anything that would matter, like outside of like a preseason practice. But maybe it happens this week in the third preseason game. Maybe we finally see Diggs get involved in the offense. Yeah, I think that's um, kind of what I'd like to see a little since it's been Thielen getting those deep shots, and you know maybe we do see a lot more of that. All right, um, you got to run. So Eric Eager is going to come up next. Is there anyone else, though, in our final moments together for the day uh, that you're thinking about for confidence level? Like anybody you want to throw my way? Well, I mean, what is our confidence level in Dalvin Cook? 
Ooh, that's a good like, one. One gonna, to thirty-three. One to thirty-three. I mean, mm. I know he's healthy. I know that that's not an issue, but I am kind of like I. I think they really should play him more than what was it last year? He played nine snaps, four snaps yeah, it was in the just preseason. A Third let, preseason game, I think he did. So like, I, let him play this. I weekend. would bet that he does. I, I play do, this but week. like, I want to see him play a full half. One to thirty-three. I'm going to go like twenty-five. I'm right around there. I'm pretty too. high, right? right I am now. too, I'm, and I'm, I'm and I'm high on that, and also what they have around him. I really like what we've seen emerge from Mike Boone. I do think Alexander Madison is going to be a perfect complement to take some of that load and that body, just like the wear and tear uh, off of Dalvin Cook. So I think they'll be okay there. I just, you know, I want to see him out there. Okay, we're going to take a break. Thank you for your time, Courtney, as always. Eric Eager for Pro Football Focus comes up next to talk about the list of PFF's 32 quarterbacks ranked by tiers and by numbers as well. We'll return uh, here on Purple Daily. Welcome back to Purple Daily. Matthew Collar, as always. And if you missed any of the show so far, make sure you go to iTunes, download the show every day, give us a rating, all that good stuff. You can get it wherever you get your podcasts. And even if you're an old school desktop user, just go to scorenorth.com. We post every show there as well. Um, It's hard to miss the Purple Daily show. All right. Joining me now from Pro Football Focus, our friend Eric Eager. And uh, Eric, I, I want you to spew some Vikings takes on all the preseason action because why not? But uh, Pro Football Focus has put out the list of all 32 quarterbacks being ranked. And I, and I feel like PFF is late in the season to be ranking all the quarterbacks. Am I wrong here, Eric? Uh, well, you know, we, we almost have to adjust them now because as we're talking right, you know, we're talking about like Jimmy Garoppolo throwing the ball to the other team. Oh, so yeah, he's not looking. So at all. you know, we we sort of have to change these up sometimes. <laughs> uh, Kirk 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 was super impressive last night in, in a short amount of time. So you know, they're, they're, we're still adjusting the rankings, but uh, yeah, we're a little late in the off season, I would say. Uh, adapting them based on uh, preseason action is. Um... Uh, the internet term might be the ultimate galaxy brain, if anybody knows that reference. But um, anyway, so yeah, everyone usually does these rankings when there is no preseason action because there's nothing to do. But PFF has put them out, and you contributed to these rankings. So I, I started to talk about this with Sage the other day, and we have to start with where Kirk Cousins is. When the Vikings signed Kirk Cousins to one of the most expensive deals in NFL history, if not the most expensive at the time, um, we all said, look, you can't compare what he's getting paid and where he ranks in dollars to where he ranks in the NFL. And Pro Football Focus has him at 14th. There's a lot of the things in the write-up that are uh, things that Kirk Cousins does well, but there's some criticisms here as well. Why is Kirk Cousins 14th uh, in the NFL by these rankings? Uh, well, I think it, it just amounts to the fact that there's a lot of good quarterbacks in the NFL. I mean, uh, I don't think anybody's going to tell you he's, you know, ahead of Breeze, ahead of Brady, Mahomes, Rogers, Luck, Wilson, Ryan, uh, Roethlisberger, Rivers, and then, you know, once you get to these other guys, Mayfield, I think has, you know, quite a bit more potential. He graded better, uh, than him down the stretch last season. Uh, Wentz, you know, was an MVP candidate in 2017, actually played better in 2018. Deshaun Watson, Jared Goff again, quarterbacks that have uh, garnered a lot of, of team success and then, and then Cousins rings in at 14 right around, you know, Stafford, Newton, Prescott. I think that's a pretty good cluster for him to be in. So I think A, it's just there's a lot of good quarterbacks in the NFL. And then B, I think Cousins 
you know, among those players is, is sort of profoundly in the middle of the pack. So what does this, um, I guess, say about Matthew Stafford that Cousins is slightly ahead of him, but they're back-to-back in 14th and 15th? Because Stafford is one of those quarterbacks that uh, is, I think, some people extremely overrate him and say, oh, he's one of the best there is, and he puts up 5,000 yards and everything else. And then there are others who think he can't play at all and isn't even a franchise quarterback and that Detroit should get rid of him. And it seems that you guys feel like the truth is somewhere in the middle here. I think there's a lot of comparisons between Cousins and Matthew Stafford. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, we've seen him, you know, early in his career, he's very prolific. 2011, I think he had over 40 touchdowns, 5,000 yards. And then he had a couple down years. And then when, you know, the offensive coordinator who had the best name in the history of coaches, Jim Bob Cooter, took <laughs> over in the middle middle of 2015, he had a little bit of a renaissance. I mean, frankly, you know, any quarterback that can get the Lions to a winning record three out of four years has my support to some degree. Um, uh, a team that's never won the NFC North, literally. But at the same time, um, you know, he, he's a guy who's, you know, is kind of middle of the pack sometimes when you – take away some of that structure. You know, they traded Golden Tate in the middle of the season last year. Marvin Jones got hurt. Kenny Galladay was really the only receiver. They get rid of uh, Eric Ebron, their tight end last season. Uh, and then he struggled. And that's very Kirk Cousy, Cousins. Uh, you Cousins-y? Know, I think it's Cousins-y. Cousins-y. Kirky, maybe. And then, <laughs> so like, so, you know, it's one of those where, you know, you take, you, know, you talk about Tom Brady, for example, like Josh Gordon, Shows up for ten weeks, balls out, leaves for the next, you know, next four. Uh, Rob Gronkowski in and out of the lineup for the better part of the last half a decade. Uh, you know, Edelman sits out a year, and Tom Brady's the same guy, right? And then same thing like Mahomes. You know, uh, Tyreek Hill gets hurt. You know, and then he goes to Sammy Watkins. You know, Sammy Watkins gets hurt. He goes to Tyreek Hill. The elite quarterbacks are guys that are sort of unperturbed by some of these things on the outside, whereas a guy like Cousins or a guy like Stafford very much affected uh, by the by the play of those around. So on this list, Dak Prescott is 17th and Cam Newton is 16th by PFF's quarterback rankings here. And, and there's something that I struggle with, Eric, in 2019, which is how do I weigh and how do I factor the ability to run the football successfully? Because this is something that the Vikings have talked about wanting Kirk to take off and get first downs when there's room there. We saw Case Keenum do that and the value of someone who can take off. And Dak Prescott is very good at it. Cam Newton is unreal at it. I think he has the most rushing touchdowns for a quarterback of all time. I mean, how how do you weigh this versus those guys aren't quite as good of throwers of the football as Matt Stafford and Kirk Cousins, but they have this special skill that gets them closer to winning. Yeah, that's a great point. And I think, so it's interesting because actually I had this similar discussion about kickers because the Vikings trade earlier last week. Um, But there's these things that like, you know, for example, kicking a field goal well is obviously better than kicking a field goal poorly, but kicking a field goal well is still far less valuable than scoring a touchdown on fourth down. You know, so there are things like you'd rather be good at this than not. And and in the case of running or quarterbacks running the football, a quarterback designed run is more efficient than a a regular run play to a running back. Mm -hmm. And a a scramble is pretty efficient as well. But passing the football is still more efficient than both of those things. And, And so when it comes to Newton and Prescott, I think they're elevated because they do some of the things that are better than the worst things, and they do them well. 
but in terms of passing the football efficiently, with Newton, it's, you know, accuracy in the intermediate area. With Prescott, it's sort of accuracy both intermediate and down the field. Like, they add value, and that's why they're not the 20s, for sure. And and and, and in some years, they're probably going to be in the top 10 because, you know, they, they might get a good supporting cast around them. They might have good variants like Newton did in 2015. But on balance, they're in the middle of the pack because they struggle more so than some players as passers, despite the fact that they bring you know, admittingly valuable things as runners. Talking with Eric Eager of Pro Football Focus, PFF has put out its ranking every quarterback, uh, one through 32. Now, I, I just want to tell you the ones that are the hardest ones uh, for me to figure out. If I was doing this myself and, and ranking them, a lot would be similar here to the way that PFF has done it. But then there are ones that I just really don't know yet. And Lamar Jackson, to me, Eric, is the hardest one to figure out because, like everybody else, I watch some preseason, and I see some of the throws, and I say, okay, looks like he's throwing the ball a little bit better. And the other thing, too, is the leadership that uh, Lamar Jackson brings, I think, has legitimate value. The playmaking is as good as any playmaking quarterback ever, but if he doesn't significantly improve his throwing of the football, then there's no way he can be a top quarterback. I just don't know if he's going to be able to do that or not or how I can rank him. Yeah, I mean, it's a very good point. And, and, and so if you're a Lamar Jackson backer, you're going to say, well, he improved basically his entire time at Louisville. He improved, you know, as the season went down the stretch last season as a passer. He makes, he, he's very Newton-like in that the throws that he can be valuable on are the downfield plays. And, you know, the Ravens weren't necessarily constructed for that type of player on their offense uh, a season ago, whereas, you know, they got more down the field targets. Uh, in the, in the off season. So there's some, there's some hope there. Um, he obviously offers a lot as a runner, but I don't know, you know, if the league is going to find that out and sort of, uh, alter it a little bit. So th- there's, there's some good and bad with him. And I think, you know, ultimately, you know, I think he was a great value at 32 for the Ravens and, and he can be, you know, there's a pretty good chance that he'll be useful moving forward. Uh, I'm not going to bet on him to be an elite quarterback, but I do think uh, on a rookie contract, the structure around him is going to be such that the Ravens are probably going to have a pretty good chance to compete with him, and it would at least give him the opportunity uh, to to you know be a positive contributor to that offense. And and I think that they understand that he's going to have sort of. Um, special things need to be done to get the most out of him. Um, that Greg Roman was able to do some of this with Tyrod Taylor, who put up some pretty darn good numbers considering he's Tyrod Taylor uh, in Buffalo when he was the offensive coordinator. So now, I mean, he worked with Colin Kaepernick before and now working with Lamar Jackson. I mean, it seems that he has a good sense for how to deal with running quarterbacks. And from from that standpoint, I think Lamar has a pretty good chance of success, that it's not just uh, who he is and how he can play, but also um, what his setup is. I, I want to go, Eric, to the top of the list, and it's it's Brady, Breeze, and Mahomes, one, two, three. Now, some people might say Mahomes is number one. Some people might say Breeze, but whatever. Brady won another Super Bowl. He's amazing. That's fine if he's number one by me. But here's where it's interesting is – under tier two quarterbacks, the first quarterback under tier two is Aaron Rodgers. And this was, um, I was sort of like 90% joking, but 10% not joking when I said earlier this offseason Rodgers is washed. Is Rodgers 
like a little washed, do you think? Or is he just going to come back and be like 2011 and everyone uh, is going to regret ever questioning him? You you bring up a great point because I think you can make the argument that the last time that Aaron Rodgers was truly an elite quarterback was in 2014, his last MVP season. In 2015, the team got off to a good start, but Jordy was hurt, and eventually he played poorly. And even in 2016, I believe, you know, probably the first eight games of the season, he had six that were really rough in terms of, like, yards per attempt being under six or something like that. So he, and then he, of course, emerged and took the team to the NFC title game. He's had some really, truly brilliant games, but in terms of a consistent performer, he's struggled over the last two, three years. Now, how much of that can be attributed to Mike McCarthy, who clearly lost his fastball as a, as a play caller the last few years? I'm willing to bet on Aaron Rodgers, but I certainly think he's firmly a second-tier guy and could, you know, in, in my opinion, if I'm sort of looking at some of the other contextual statistics, I could, I'd be, would be, you know, had no problem fading Aaron Rodgers more to the bottom half of, of the top 10 than Steve had here. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of amazing that we, you know, continue to talk about him as the best quarterback in the league or right up there with Brady and Breeze, but he just hasn't continued to perform at the same level that they have. And my big issue here, Eric, is that he gets sacked all the time. And it seems like he's one of those guys that brings pressure upon himself. And he used to be able to kind of athletic his way out of out of those pressures that he created by himself and fling the ball to where there was no possible way someone would catch it, but he would make it happen anyway. And over the last couple of years, maybe it's injuries have been a part of this, but it's just not the same. And hanging onto the ball, hanging onto the ball, hanging onto the ball. I mean, in in my mind, that has really dragged him down a little bit from Breeze and Brady, who take the snap and the thing is just gone. Right, and uh, you know, we talked about this that this week on PFF.com is sort of uh, a quarterback's pressure rate is often a function of the quarterback, uh, probably more so than the offensive line, and that's one of the reasons why you know getting rid of the ball quickly is not just a scheme thing; it's a being able to read defenses thing. And I don't doubt that Aaron Rodgers can read defenses. I think it was one of those things where he stopped necessarily trusting uh, the the play calling, uh, you know, of Mike McCarthy. You know, there were some plays where I think, you know, he should have you know, gotten rid of the ball more quickly, and, and he just kind of bailed on it and decided to, you know, scramble. Throw. I, I, you know, 2016, sort of that, this is kind of some of the brilliant plays he made were even in that, like, sort of unstructured as well. So, you know, it, it, it's going to be an interesting year this year because I think he clearly wants to be, not be the guy who is the problem, uh, you know, in Green Bay. He's going to want to prove everybody wrong. There, there's a couple things here. Like, I think it could go either way for him, and it'll be interesting to see what his legacy is if it continues to go the wrong way. So it might be a hot take to say it, but I've always thought that Rodgers was not the best at reading defenses, but he just had so much arm talent. And by not the best, I mean, like, still top ten, but just not the number one guy at doing it like Brady is. And, and it would sometimes... Uh, get him into trouble that he could just get himself out of. And now if he has to continue to do that, uh, that might not always be um, easy for him. So, all right, before we uh, wrap it up here, Eric, all right, give give me some sort of Vikings preseason take. I know that you've paid attention to the games, and uh, we have PFF grades here. Brett Jones has been unbelievable. Is that your take? Um, but give, give, give me something uh, of a thought on what the Vikings have shown in their couple of preseason games. You know, I think the Vikings are going to be in trouble defensively if they don't figure out a way to get pressure on the interior of the defense. 
Uh, I think last, last night was pretty, you know, it was, it was troubling to watch, you know, uh, Russell Wilson have the time for some of his receivers and none of these guys are Jerry Rice to sort of go across the middle of the field in between the linebacker level and the safety level. We saw Harrison Smith make a tremendous play uh, on one of those plays, but you know, Wilson got his fair share of yardage on those, on those crossing plays, you know, sort of between, uh, you know, the, the bars and the Kendrickses and the, and the safety level, Harrison Smith and then Alexander in the slot. So, and I, I think a lot of it was simply they were not getting pushed. And, you know, I joked about this on Twitter yesterday. I said, well, you know, Linville Joseph and Sheldon Richardson are out tonight. But like, <laughs> you know, Richardson's not walking through that door. John Randall's not walking through that yeah. door. Henry Thomas is not walking through that door. They got to get pressure up the middle. And I think, this Hercules Mata Appa thing reminds me a lot of Aaron Henderson, you know, EJ's brother, who was supposed to be a second or third round pick and got undrafted, and everybody excited to have Aaron in the fold, and he eventually became a pretty useful starter for the Vikings, but it was about three or four years into his term. And I think Mata is probably going to make the team. He's probably going to be useful on special teams uh, and, and have some role, but I think, it, I think the cart is far before the horse if we think he's going to be sort of this uh, you know, interior force on passing downs. And so I don't know whether or not they have to put Griffin inside or whether they have to just, you know, Linville Joseph has to be more of a part of the pass rush on, on nickel downs and things like that, but they need to get interior pressure. All right, it'll be interesting to see if somebody steps up, a Jalen Holmes, or even if they use Stephen Weatherly on the inside to create that pressure, but I think that uh, should be looked at as a concern. Well, Eric, great stuff. Thanks for your help. Make sure you check out that list of all 32 quarterbacks ranked at pff.com. We'll take a quick break, and we will be right back here. You are listening to Purple Daily on Score North. Three forty-six here at Score North. Time for the Score North download. A bit of a disappointing loss for the Twins last night. That'll be talked about extensively coming up on Mackie and Judd with Rami just after this final segment of Purple Daily. But since we're here at the Score North download, we'll use this to let you know about what's happening Thursday night here on the station. Thursday night, Minnesota United travels down to Kansas City to take on Sporting Kansas City right here on Score North, the Score North mobile app. And scorenorth.com. You can join Dan Terhar and myself for the pregame at 8 o'clock. Kickoff at 8.30 right here on Score North. Join us then. This has been your Score North download. Now back to Purple Daily. All right, final segment here of Purple Daily. Matthew Collar with you as always. And make sure that you go download the show. Check out uh, the piece that I'm putting out a little later today on four verticals concept how the Vikings are going to use it. Also what PFF had to say about the first two preseason games. Go to scorenorth.com to check that out. Now, um, ESPN did a piece that mentions Kirk Cousins about the seven trends we will continue to see. And that is, um, I'll just give you what they are. Uh, man-to-man coverage defenses. I don't know how much that matters to you to look for. Play-action explosion. I do think we'll see a lot more of it, including here. But interestingly, short-term veteran contracts with a lot of guaranteed money is something that Dan Graziano from ESPN mentioned. And um, that's interesting that Kirk Cousins might kind of 
be the trailblazer there when it comes to how contracts are put together. And then with a CBA coming, uh, we might see more of that. And I wonder how that could impact the Vikings, considering that a lot of their contracts go five years, but they're actually structured for three years. And uh, it's a lot of money often gets left on the table by the players. So you always have to kind of focus on that guaranteed money. I wonder if more guys will go for shorter term deals. Um, that's an interesting point. Just running down this list here that I thought was interesting. And then uh, I got something about uh, Baker Mayfield trick play resurgence. Does anyone want to see more uh, receivers running? Um, I don't know, jet sweeps and throwing the ball down the field or something like that. Trick plays resurging. That would be uh, interesting. But here's something to be kind of concerned about because I love, I do love trick plays. Odell Beckham throwing bombs and Mohamed Sanu throwing bombs is sort of a fun thing. Uh, a, a jump in offensive holding penalties. This comes from our friend Kevin Seifert uh, at ESPN. And this would be one that I think Vikings fans should be kind of worried about. Um, Seifert writes about the supposed lobster block, it's called. I mean, can we get any more football than something called a lobster block, which is some people call it like a sling, uh, slingshot where someone's coming by you and you sort of keep pushing them by, or it sort of sounds like what it is. Um, but that you can no longer do that on a, a backside type of block. So I wonder if this idea that the Vikings are going to run the ball a lot more um, early on downs and things like that, first down, second down, if we're going to see a lot of holding penalties committed because the NFL is really into that. And if the Vikings' plan is to run the ball more and the NFL's plan is to call more holdings, I'm not liking how those two things match up. Uh, another one from Mina Kimes, the NFL writer for ESPN, is more early down passing. And, and this is uh, going against what I think the Vikings are going to do. They want to run on first down, run play actions on second and short and things like that. And we'll see how much they do it. So last year, the league passed like 53% of times on first down. Now, I wonder if we're going to see a lot of play action first downs because Zimmer sort of has gone out of his way to talk about running on first down more. If they actually want to run more play actions on first down um, to get the defenses thinking that they're going to give the ball to Delvin Cook. And um, one more is the air yards per attempt continues to go down. And this is another one that I think the Vikings might go the opposite way. Air yards per attempt is just how far you're throwing the football through the air. And it's... Back in the day with Terry Bradshaw and Joe Namath, they were averaging throwing it 15, 16, 17 yards down the field for every throw, and now it's like 10 or 11 yards. I think last year Kirk Cousins was around 10 yards, air yards per throw. I wonder if Gary Kubiak's plan is to have Cousins increase that by quite a bit. All right, one more thing just before we close out for the day. Mackie and Judd with Rami is coming up next. Baker Mayfield saying the pick of Daniel Jones blows his mind. This thing with Baker Mayfield trying to be the cool kid quarterback all the time who says whatever he wants to say and he's going to call people out and he's going to tell Colin Cowherd what's up and he's going to call out the media. I wonder how long this lasts or if this works. It, I, I can't think of too many times where a quarterback has tried this type of shtick that it's lasted for a really long time. Now, I think it's different from someone like 
Cam Newton who celebrates and has his own personal style and all those things, and every once in a while might say something that's a faux pas. Uh, he said the thing about routes to the woman reporter maybe two years ago, and um, that was definitely a mistake on his part. But Cam isn't like in the media saying stuff like this all the time, and very rarely it feels like uh, quarterbacks get away with this type of thing. Maybe... Aaron Rodgers does a little sum of it, but only because he's Aaron Rodgers and he's a megastar. This goes under the category not of, I think, that Baker Mayfield is too cocky to win in Cleveland or anything like that. But it goes under the category of, I'm really going to keep a close eye on what happens here with Baker Mayfield. Because if they run into some road bumps and he's done all this talking, I I mean, we saw how that worked out for Jalen Ramsey last year, that he had said a lot of things about quarterbacks and then the Jags weren't as good as they were before. And, uh, you know, he kind of got flamed for it. And with a quarterback, it's much, much, uh, much, much worse. So anyway, um, that that's what we got for today. And, and I'll be interested. And I wonder if, you know, fans like that with, with their quarterback. I mean, usually it's it's got a short shelf life for people liking it. It's, well, finally somebody is honest. But then as soon as they lose a couple of games, it's, well, why don't you shut up? So that usually changes pretty quickly. All right, Mackie and Judd with Rami coming up next. A lot of baseball talk, maybe a discussion of a non-challenge by Rocco Baldelli. Doesn't get any more exciting than that. So um, that's what's coming up next here on Score North. We'll be right back.